welcome to the Destiny Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For information about this podcast and other resources, visit DestinyDayton.com. All right. Well, for those of you who may not know me, uh, my name is Dylan Schober. I serve as an elder here at Destiny Church, and I'm excited to bring the word to you today. Now, let's go ahead and dive in. We are at the start of our Elephant in the Room series um, starting this week. And a quick disclaimer on this, uh, Elephant in the Room series exists uh, because there are things that are tricky to talk about, that are controversial, that are um, more explicit in nature, maybe, than you would normally hear from the pulpit. Uh, But at some point, someone's got to say it, and the church has to hear it. Um, So, fair warning, disclaimer, um, we're going to go there today. And uh, that's how it's going to be. I, I see all of our young, young kids made it down to kids' church. Thank Jesus. Uh, <laughs> so I'm going to talk today uh, to kick this whole thing off about a very uncontroversial topic, politics and how to interact with that as a Christian. There's no way that could go wrong. There's no way anyone could twist what's said or get offended by that, right? So obviously, uh, being facetious there, um, Covering this topic, I can think of no better way to start than to pray, uh, because Jesus helped me on talking about politics on a Sunday. Uh, The good thing is, the Jesus that I'm going to ask for help discipled, as part of his 12 disciples, uh, the equivalent of an IRS agent, Matthew the tax collector, and the equivalent of that guy who built the concrete bulldozer and ran over half the town's government offices, Simon the Zealot. Okay, so if he could manage to disciple those two guys, I think we can get through the sermon about politics today. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, open hearts, open minds. Uh, God, I pray that you would guide me. Lord, and I pray that if I say anything that uh, is, is a, a misuse of your word, God, I pray that you would shut my mouth in the name of Jesus. Lord, but I pray that good seed would be sown today and that we wouldn't shy away from uh, this topic or... Um, twist it into something that it's not supposed to be. God, give us your revelation from heaven today in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's start today big picture, okay? We can't talk about politics without talking about America. How as Christians do we view America in a a biblical way? And I think with most things, um, we can find most of our errors on the extremes of the spectrum, okay? Okay. We can lose sight of Jesus when we choose to magnify and make a huge deal out of either how amazing and perfect and flawless America is or by fixating on its failures. Either one of those can be problematic if we go the wrong direction with them. So let's start with the first one. We cannot conflate the kingdom of God with the United States. We cannot conflate the Bible with the Constitution. We can honor both. We can appreciate both. We can defend both. We can acknowledge the fact that our nation is built on a a huge amount of Christian principles. But we cannot say that those two documents or those two kingdoms are one and the same, that they hold equal weight. Or, God forbid, that America has greater value than the kingdom of God. Now you may say, okay, when does that happen? I'll give you an example. This is something that Plays out weekly in the U.S., okay? Follow with me. We've got a dad. He's got his son at a ball game, baseball, football, whatever, okay? Someone, some stranger he doesn't know gets on a microphone and says, please stand for our national anthem. What does dad do? He pops up out of his seat. He slaps that hand on his chest, and he says, hey, son, take your hat off. Show respect, okay? Then what happens? A couple days later, they're back in church, 
And someone, this time not a stranger, a trusted friend that they know from their church, gets on a microphone and says, can everyone stand and raise your hand to bring honor to our Lord? And sometimes that same dad who was at the ballpark crosses his arms and gets bothered that someone's telling him what to do. This same person maybe has never sat down with their son and explained, this is why we honor God in worship. This is why He's worthy of our praise. This is a twist. This is us taking uh, something that, that is good and, and blessed by God and, and elevating it to a place where it's above God. And that's not a good approach. Proverbs 14.34 says this, Righteousness exalts a nation. So if you want to be patriotic, if you want America to be glorified, if you want it to be lifted up, the best thing you can do goes far beyond taking your hat off of the national anthem is live in a godly way and put God's rules first and foremost in your life. You want to honor your nation? Live righteous. Follow God. Prioritize the Lord above everything else. And that's the best way to do it. The flip side of this is it's also an error to fixate and and hunker down on all of our problems that we've had as a nation. We see that there are times in Scripture where prophets and even Jesus called back and said, hey, Israel, remember your former sins. Okay, So it's not that we shouldn't ever talk about problems that we've had as a nation. We should definitely discuss those, but why do we bring them up? Are we bringing them up to to wallow, or are we bringing them up so that, as the prophets and Jesus did, we can remember them to not repeat those mistakes. It's useful to remember our history. It's useful to remember that declaring a black person three-fifths of a person, they're kind of a person, but they're not all the way a person like you and me are, that that was abhorrent. We should remember that so that we don't repeat the mistake and look at a life in a womb and say, well, they're not really all the way a person like you and me are. That's how we can remember history in a good way. We can remember that Margaret Sanger, who founded Planned Parenthood, believed that black people were inferior inferior, and needed their genes removed so that humanity could prosper. We can usefully remember that so that if we're going to go and try and tear down systemically racist institutions, we know where to start. It is good to remember mistakes so we don't repeat them. But that's, what, that's the place that remembering mistakes has. Not so you can be edgy on some online chat board and feel morally superior because you're not going to celebrate this holiday because our country's terrible and it got started this terrible way. Okay, again, you and I agree. We've got some stuff in our past that could use some cleaning up. I hate to break it to you. Any nation that exists today got a very, very good shot that the start of that nation looked pretty ugly too. What we can do is the same prescription the nation of Israel had. We can look back on those things for our edification, but we can also make memorials and remembrances to times that God has brought us forward, that times where we've had victories, times where good things have happened because God has delivered our nation out of darkness. I think we do a lot more to get to the next victory looking back at the victories and not only the defeats. Amen? I want to jump to 
Romans 13 now as we shift our gears a little bit from how do we handle our relationship with America to how do we handle our relationship with the government itself. Romans 13 says this, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. It's a tricky uh, set of verses there for a nation who got their start uh, throwing off the fetters of an unjust king across the pond, right? It's in our blood to push back. It's in our blood to rebel. Now, obviously, there are exceptions, okay, to blind obedience to every single thing someone in a political office tells us to do, okay? We should remember the words of Peter that he said when the rulers told him not to preach Jesus anymore. What did he say? It's better to obey God than man. Obviously, that is there, okay? What we can't do is use this as an excuse to throw out the rest of Romans 13. The it's better to obey God than man doesn't overrule Romans 13. It's an addition to. So when we reach an impasse and it's God's way or man's way, it's God's way. But guys, not every single individual word that comes out of a politician's mouth, decision that they make, brings us to that impasse. Our default stance, our heart should be follow and respect until we can't anymore. We should not be rooting for failure for the leaders that God has brought to our country. And you may say, but Biden or but Trump. Okay, listen. When Paul wrote this, who did he write it to? The Roman church. Okay, the book of Romans, letter to the believers in Rome. Do you know who the Roman emperor was at the time? A little guy called Nero. All right? And quick history lesson. What did Nero do to some of the same believers that would have heard this letter read to them? Romans 13. He made them a scapegoat for a fire that broke out in Rome. He had some of them ripped apart by animals, some of them burnt alive, some of them crucified in the streets. So imagine with me Paul's response to us upon reading these verses if we said, well, Paul, I get it, but you have no idea how nasty Trump is. Or you have no idea how anti-Christian Biden is. Like, look, if the Roman church had to have that written to them, and they didn't get a freebie pass carte blanche under the reign of Nero, then I think that we can't totally dispose of that uh, section of the Bible just because it's inconvenient for us. Hebrews 13 takes it a step further. You want me to raise the bar? Here we go. Hebrews 13, talking about submission to godly leaders. Um, So obviously a little difference there, but the principle remains the same of what does it look like to submit. It says, here's how you submit to godly leaders. You find a way to make it so that their work in leading you is a joy. Let them do it with joy and not with groaning, not having to drag you along with them. So how many of us can claim that when the quote-unquote other team has their guy or gal in office, we're thinking about, man, how can I make it a joy for this person to lead me? I'll tell you, when I was writing this, that challenged me because I'm like... It's a high bar that I think we miss a lot in this country. 
So when's the last time that you have said something that the president of an opposing party uh, did? When's the last time that you said that a... Let me rephrase that so it makes any kind of sense. When's the last time that you said an opposing party president did something right? That you talked to someone and said, hey, you know, I appreciate so-and-so did this. I thought that was good. I think that's going to help our nation. For many, I think that question, we may have to think back pretty far to get there. Is it really possible that every single word spoken, every single policy enacted by a leader that God put in place in our country is wrong every single time? Unlikely. Even when the opposing party gives someone exactly what they want, oftentimes that's overlooked. I'll give you some examples. In the State of the Union, President Biden sounded like a Republican for half of it. He was saying things like, hey, we need to increase manufacturing, and I'm partnering with Republican leadership in Ohio to bring a big factory there to address the chip shortage. He was saying, buy American. He was saying, hey, we can't defund the police. We need to fund the police. He said that like seven times in a row. Fund the police, fund the police. All the people who have been asking for those things who usually go, yeah, crickets. Let's flip it to the other side now. President Trump. He took funding for historically black colleges and universities that was temporary, had to constantly be renewed over and over and over again. Wasn't guaranteed. And he said, you know what, forget it. Let's make it permanent. President Trump encouraged Congress to pass a bill that ultimately did get passed and led to the establishment of Juneteenth as a national holiday. President Trump proposed designating the KKK as a terrorist organization. And he pushed for a bill, ironically co-sponsored by Kamala Harris, that would make lynching a federal hate crime. His opponents? Well, sounds like a white supremacist to me. It's the worst white supremacist I've ever heard of. (laughs) Progress is hard to come by in this country if half of the country is willing to work against their own interests to ensure that their political opponent fails. How do we move forward? Looking for problems in leaders carries another scriptural concern with it as well. If we want to believe the worst in a politician badly enough, then we can throw truth out of the window to get there. We live in an era of echo chambers and out-of-context sound bites. And it's important to remember, for the believer, gossip is still a sin. Beyond that, we take bearing false witness out of the Ten Commandments and and we kind of water it down to don't lie. Which, yes, that's a correct attribution. But if we're being more specific, more exact, it's talking about don't make false accusations against someone. Okay? So throwing out a, well, I heard someone say Clarence Thomas this, or AOC thinks that, says that, believes that, blah, 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 without any thought to where did that come from and is it true? And just repeating it on and on and on and on because it sounds good, it feels right, it's what you want to believe about them. That is a dangerous game to play if sin matters. Just the other day at work, a strongly conservative coworker was shown a video of Biden that made him look pretty stupid. And it would have been so easy for this coworker 
to just laugh, have a good chuckle at it, talk about Biden's competency. Instead, he pointed out that, well, funny, that specific video actually was edited and it wasn't really a truthful video. That specific situation didn't happen. And it, that was such a small thing. It was so easy to miss. But man, that says a lot about that guy's character. It stuck out to me. It communicates that he values truth. That while he can be critical of a political leader that he doesn't agree with, he's not going to stoop to the level of laughing along with fake things or passing along gossip or making false accusations to get there. May we all have that heart. I invite you to look at your heart today. When talking politics, are we more concerned with truth or do we settle for that good feeling we get from making the other guy look stupid? Here are some things that we can do to properly handle our relationship with the leaders in our nation. Step one, humility and obedience check. I threw it out earlier. Find one thing, just one thing, that you think a president you didn't vote for did well and use your mouth to tell somebody. Now, you're not allowed to say, but, just say it and walk out. If you can't do that, if you can't find one thing, then there's a pride, humility disconnect going on that needs to be addressed. Step two, we need to make sure that the political commentary that we have around the water cooler and our family is rooted in truth. If you've been passing along stuff just fast and loose, hoping that it's true, but having no idea, or you know that you've said something that wasn't true, but it was fun to just kind of pass it along to make somebody look bad. Own your words and correct it if you said something wrong. Your integrity matters more. Thirdly, the Bible says to pray for our governing authorities. Can I help you a little bit? Instead of, God, our president's an idiot. Make sure he's stopped in everything he does until we can elect the right guy. Try this. God, work in our president's heart. Be merciful to him. Save him. Give him your guidance and wisdom. Turn his heart towards you. And Lord, if his heart, heart is too hard and he won't turn, then replace him with someone better. Sometimes it is okay to ask God to remove a bad leader. But the reason you ask for that needs to be their hard heart, not yours. So we've talked about Christians interacting with their nation and their government. How about candidates? How, do, how about elections? How do we navigate that? I think if you ask a believer who their ideal candidate is, we should all hopefully say, well, Jesus. He's already your king, so you're good there. Someone who upholds biblical principles and acts like Jesus, talks like Jesus, right? It's a wonderful goal to have, but oftentimes the people on the ballot list don't fit super cleanly and super neatly into that box. It is concerning to see Christians sometimes take those candidates who clearly don't fit in neatly and do their best to pull the edges of that criteria around of redefining what godliness is, redefining what biblical principles are so that they can make their guy fit in to the Jesus box. Elephant in the room. Okay. 
I told you we're coming at you hot. Brace yourself. Joe Biden promotes principles that are absolutely unbiblical. Donald Trump has a track record with lifestyle and words that do not clearly demonstrate someone who is under the complete control of the Holy Spirit. Now stick with me. Don't come through anything. You guys are awesome. I have my helmet behind the drum cage if need be. But think about this. If I came up to preach today, I grabbed the mic and I started talking about how a child minutes away from birth has no inherent value from God and therefore we can do whatever with that not so much life. You would be right to say, why is this dude preaching in a church? This is not Christianity. Fair? Similarly, if I came up and I started my sermon talking about how I'm the best Destiny Church member who's ever been here. Okay? And discussions were had about years of of infidelity and and fornication and, and boastfulness about that fornication and my response was not humble or repentant but dismissive if i came up here and talked about my co-workers that i'd sit with monday through friday and call them a bunch of stupid mfers and sobs you would have every right to go hey um you know we're supposed to look at the fruit that fruit doesn't look like it was grown by the holy spirit And you would be right to say that. Neither of these men fit perfectly, cleanly, neatly into our definition of a Christ-like candidate. And that's okay. I would much rather us be honest about that than try and fudge around with holiness to make him fit. My son Damien has the, the classic kid's toy, right? You put the right shape peg in the right shape hole, okay? I cannot force the square peg into the square... Did I say square twice? Circle peg into the square hole. Doesn't matter. I just need two different ones. The analogy will work. I can't take the circle one and shove it into the square one without causing damage to the box that that was supposed to go in. Okay? The same is true when we do that with our politicians. Okay? Calling Joe Biden a devout Catholic Christian does harm to the gospel of Jesus because it marries Christ to ideologies that Christ hates. Holding up Donald Trump as some example of peak godly character can paint a false image of Christianity where arrogance towards God and man is celebrated as long as it's used against the extra bad guys. If we wouldn't call actions or views or beliefs or or comments godly in a church setting, then can we not call them godly when they're in the Oval Office? So if we don't have a candidate who's clearly 100% sold out for Jesus, how do we vote? Well, it's easy. It comes down to policies and it comes down to where our heart is. There's room for disagreement in Christianity on certain issues. Okay? How do we handle gun rights? What's the best solution for immigration? How big of a role does government have in education, healthcare, et cetera, et cetera? You can be my Christian brother or sister, and we can not be 100% in alignment on some of those issues. That's okay. 
There are, however, a number of policies that are absolute deal breakers when it comes to having a Christian worldview. I brought up abortion before, and I've preached a whole message on it in the past. It's a big deal. The unnecessary taking of an innocent human life is detestable to God. There's no room in biblical Christianity for this. Luke 1 15 says that John the Baptist would be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. I don't know too many chairs or, you know, lizards or whatever that have been filled with the Holy Spirit. That's, that's a person, okay? You fill people with the Holy Spirit. Among other things, this is God demonstrating his personhood. There are numerous passages that talk about how God knows us as a unique individual in our mother's womb. You can find that all over Scripture. And Proverbs 6 explicitly states that God hates the shedding of innocent blood. It says hates. And so, well, He is loving. And I can attest to this. This is true. He absolutely will forgive and heal and restore anyone who comes to Him in repentance after having shed blood. There is forgiveness there. There is no room in Christianity for the support of a continuation of that. Another biblical deal-breaker issue is the corruption of children. A parenting site, uh, incorrectly called fatherly, gave some horrible fatherly advice uh, recently. On Twitter, they were promoting an article, and this is what the promo tweet said. It said, pride parades and pride festivals that follow are noisy and crowded. They're filled with sights that may be new to kids, such as public nudity and kink. So is it appropriate to take your young kids to pride? The article answers, yes. Someone responded to that tweet and said, hey, just to give you an idea of what this actually means. You know, in my city, here's what happens at our pride parade. And again, I'm not going to say this is an everywhere thing, but this is something that is being encouraged. We've got grown adults who inflate a kiddie pool in the street, lie in it naked, and invite passersby to come strip down and urinate on them. Thanks, Dylan. I didn't need that mental image. Yeah, neither did I. And I was real close to not sharing it because I have no joy in sharing disgusting perversion. Imagine how I feel doing it on a stage in a church. It's not fun for me to say, but I shared it anyway because I want it to hit home that as much as you didn't need that mental image, the child who is being brought there to witness it in person absolutely did not need to witness it either. We have annual sexual harassment training every year at work. We're reminded that saying someone looks hot or sexy is sexual harassment. We're reminded that having tickets to a strip club out on your desk is sexual harassment. Now, to be clear, let's just establish some ground rules here. I agree with those standards. They are wonderful standards. We shouldn't do those things. 
But how in the world do we live in a country where you can be sued for calling an adult hot and simultaneously have people cheering on, dragging children, oftentimes unwillingly, to watch nude adults urinate on each other? Around the U.S., children are being invited to drag shows left and right. That's a new thing. One such event was caught on camera in Dallas, and the organizers were insistent this was in no way a sexual thing. We're just teaching kids how to express their authentic selves. Well, thankfully, the cameras were there because it told the true story, where they were in a gay dance club that had explicit messages written all over the walls. They had elementary, young elementary-aged kids stuffing dollars into the underwear of fully grown men. And one boy was brought up and had to wear a little scarf thing and they made him strut down with the drag queens, the aisle. And you could see in the video that the child was mortified, embarrassed, hated every second of it, didn't want to be there. But just make sure, you know, if you have tickets to that club, you don't put them out on your desk because that would be harassment for an adult to see. Jesus has no tolerance for those who would seek to tempt, confuse, or corrupt the child. Talking to a crowd of the child near to him, Jesus said this, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a millstone tied around his neck and have him be drowned in the sea. Jesus was not ambiguous about how he felt about the corruption of children. Any politician or party that cannot clearly and unapologetically denounce the shedding of innocent blood and the corruption of children is absolutely undeserving of a Christian's vote. There is no reason that you can offer that justifies voting for those in support of these things when Jesus clearly hates them. You can't vote for things that Jesus says he hates and call yourself a Christian. It doesn't even matter if you're convinced that the other candidate is worse. If that's the case and that's where you're at, vote third party or sit this one out. Policies aside, I want to discuss our heart attitudes. How do we approach candidates? One thing I hear from typically more red-leaning folks is how they love their candidate because they just tell it like it is. I love them. They just, they just say it. They just tell it like it is. My fear, and, and I'm not saying this is always the case, but I've, I've seen enough of it to know that there's a pattern here. Sometimes when we say that we like them because they're telling it like it is, it's kind of a code way of saying they're saying unnecessarily inflammatory things, and when they say it, my flesh goes, yeah. If you wouldn't say it to someone because it would be coming from the flesh and not the spirit, then it's not okay for you to cheer someone else on so that they can do it for you by proxy. Using Trump as an example, why not say that your support for him is because he said this, I am pro-life and if elected, I will appoint pro-life justices. You can say that. That's okay. 
see that instead of, well, I like him because he just, he tells people like it is. And people are left wondering if in that is included him calling people fat pigs. Just say, I like that he's going to put pro-life justices in. It's that easy. Another heart issue that I see more on the other side is the idea that in order to prove that you care about people like Jesus did, you have to vote Democrat because you have to vote for higher taxes and social programs. Otherwise, you don't love people like Jesus did. Can I demonstrate how that works? Anybody in here, throw your hand up. Like, hey, I could use a, you know, an extra buck or two this morning. Okay, I see some hands. Michelle, you're my winner here. Quan, can I have you stand up? Go uh, grab Chris's wallet, would you? If he doesn't do it, just arrest him for tax evasion. It's cool. Pull out a tenor, would you? Give it to Michelle. You can keep that. This is like a planned thing. It's okay. <laughs> but that's how this thing works, okay? So in what we just watched play out, okay, I'm the good guy, right? Because I told Quan to do that. I care about people. I'm the loving one. I'm being Christ-like, right? I care. Seems a little goofy, okay? But that's what it is. I don't get credit just because I told someone else to take someone else's money to give it to someone else. I'm going to really step on some toes today. (laughs) People can get very self-righteous thinking that God owes them something because they cared enough to make someone else give someone money. In Matthew, Jesus was talking about those who stand before him. And he talks about those who took care of the least of us as if they had taken care of him. Now, he doesn't say, I was hungry and you voted for Elon Musk to feed me. I was thirsty and you voted for Bezos to give me a drink. I was naked and you had gates clothe me. If your Bible reads that way, I can probably guess what denomination you are. Uh, (laughs) there's a couple options (laughs) but no if God has placed a hungry person in your path and you want Jesus to recognize you you feed them that's what scripture says you do it you want credit for helping the poor help the poor it's that easy no credit will be given for votes cast to give someone else's money away Now, before you amen me too loudly, remember that there's also no credit given for being nasty and stingy towards struggling people. And Jesus said, pay your taxes. Okay? Just so we're balanced here today. I'm not saying that you can't vote for taxes. I'm not saying that you can't vote for social programs. Just don't assume that voting that way takes the responsibility off of what Jesus had told you to do personally. When Jesus saw hurting people, he didn't go grab the nearest Roman official to do something. He acted. To take the analogy further, what happens if I... I'm not going to ask you to do it again. What happens if I tell Quan, hey, uh, you know, I want a piece of that too. You know, Chris seems like he's got money. <laughs> go, go grab another you know, five or ten or twenty for me. Okay? 
a lot of times, and I'm just, again, calling it like it is, a lot of times the people who I see talking about how the Christ-like response is to vote for these things, and, and if not, you hate the poor, are in a bucket where they're going to benefit too. And I wonder sometimes if they kind of want a cut of what the rich have, and they're just trying to say, well, I'm doing it because I love Jesus and I'm helping poor people, and I just happen to be poor people. If that's the case, not only do we not get credit, but we actually might get credit for envy. Okay? So let's have our hearts right on this. And lastly today, I want to talk about social media. This is kind of all part of the same thing. Social media gives us the ability to hear from everyone and speak to everyone. This needs to be stewarded wisely. By simple logic, the more messages we hear, the more likely we are to hear things that we really, really, really like and we really, really want to believe. And also, the more likely we are to hear things that aren't true. And can I tell you, it's really dangerous when those two things overlap. As believers, we need to be able to learn how to discern truth in times of an unprecedented bombardment of lies. We know that God's word is true, okay? So we've always got that. Anchor yourself to that to guide your life decisions. Don't anchor yourself to the government telling you a recession isn't coming after they've lied about a inflation not coming, okay? But by the same token, don't cash out your 401k and put it all into coal and iron because some guy living in the hills on YouTube told you to. Okay? Ground yourself in the word of God. Now we have every right to question when things don't add up coming from our politicians or from our TV, okay? It's okay to say, mm, every now and then. But we do ourselves no favors if we lower the burden of proof for anyone who tells us the government's lying, okay? If we're going to scrutinize what the CIA or the CDC says, it doesn't automatically mean that if someone comes by and says, hey, they're lying, that person must be true as well. We can scrutinize both. We can look for truth in both. One last toe step. We'll make it a doozy for good measure. So Ukraine. You're already like everyone's got their porcupine quills up. Messages that started coming out of Russia towards the beginning of the war. There's a lot of stuff they were saying. Some of it didn't add up super, super easily, super, super well. One of those things was, man, there's all these secret bioweapon labs. There's millions of them. They're all over, and they're creating. The, the specific claims that were coming from certain propaganda sites were that there were birds that were being given diseases and carrying anthrax so that they would fly over and kill a bunch of Russian civilians. Ukraine was training them to do that with the U.S.'s help. Okay? That's the claim. Fast forward. Antony Blinken, Secretary of State, gets asked about that kind of stuff. He gives kind of a blanket denial. Hey, that's all a bunch of hogwash. Okay? What that turns into is we have people who find out that there are biological research labs in Ukraine. There are. You can look them up. They exist. Studying diseases and things of that nature. 
And they look at Anthony Blinken and a nice little clipped out soundbite of him saying, no, that's all hogwash. I'm paraphrasing. And they say, oh, liar. I knew it. Now everything I hear that says he was a liar must be true. Not everyone has done this, but I've seen, I've been on the internet too much lately. And this is one I've tried to figure out. I've done a lot of homework on this one. I can give you the results of hours of looking into this about how the specific claims that are giving put as many secret bioweapons level grade labs in Ukraine as there are in the entire rest of the world. I can give you the facts that if you look at the grade that you need to create bioweapons of lab security and you look on Google Earth, they all look the same because they all have a place where you can drive your car in for an inspection and they all have a backup generator. And you, you just can't find 46 places or 30, depending on which, if we're like, I'm not going to say the names of sites. Certain sites. <laughs> Those are the two numbers that are floating out there. You can't find 30 or 46 sites that look like that, okay? It's also a little weird to me that Russia has put out their demands for ceasefire and not once, to my knowledge, correct me if I'm wrong, have they said as one of the terms that they need to inspect bioweapons labs or have them destroyed. It kind of seems like if that was the main problem, that might be a term of a ceasefire, okay? There's more. I'm going to shut up there. I've spent too much time on the Internet on this point. But my point is, is it fair to scrutinize claims from our government, especially when things don't seem to add up perfectly? Absolutely. But man, we can't jump all the way to where we take for gospel messages that originated in a country that has Soviet-level information suppression, that is currently killing civilians in droves, that is backed by only five countries, North Korea and four other crazies. Not even China would back them up in the UN votes. They're routinely trying to kill political opponents. And in 2014, they marched their army into Crimea and literally the whole world watched it happen on satellite. And for weeks, they were like, I have no idea who these are. That's not our guys now. That's just some random army that popped up. Like, that's what they said. <laughs> it is problematic if our approach is I want to believe my government is lying or I want to believe that Joe Biden is part of a huge conspiracy. And again, I'm, I'm not making any definitive claims on anything. But if we want to believe that bad enough that we're willing to just swallow a pill without some real deep questioning from these guys <laughs> and have no scrutiny applied to that because it tells me what I want to hear, It's a dangerous game. Second Timothy 4, 4 through 5 says this. There is a time coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, 
And they will turn away from listening to the truth to wander off into myths. Now, I've preached that in its original context of of churches that have strayed away from the true Christian message, the gospel message. But can I tell you, that's not the only application. Because last time I checked, having ears that itch for confirmation of what we want to believe is a universal condition. And social media was built for people who are really good at profiting from scratching itching ears. Let's not pretend that people who are selling you something or who get paid by the click have no incentive to lie to you. As I mentioned before, social media not only lets us hear everyone, but it lets us speak to everyone. And as we come in for a landing here, I don't want to stretch this out longer than it has to. And, And candidly, I didn't write a lot in this section because God's been dealing with me on it. I'm still figuring this out. So I'll stick to what I know, the Word of God, and I'll read some scriptures off to you and let God work in your heart on that. Sound good? Colossians 3.8 says, But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and all obscene talk from your mouth. Ephesians 4.9 Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Proverbs twelve eighteen says this, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. I tell you, Matthew twelve thirty six. I tell you, on that day, there will be judgment where people give account for every careless word they speak. But let's not forget these as well. Acts 4.29 And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with great boldness. Ephesians 6.19 Paul saying, Pray also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth to boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Some of us need to hear the No unwholesome talk part. Some of us need to hear the boldly part. We speak boldly, but not thoughtlessly. And if we speak the gospel, God will deliver the power. Can I have you stand with me? I close today with an encouragement that while these things are divisive and they're tricky, and you may disagree with me even on my approach to coming to this stuff today and, and what I've said, at the end of the day, none of this is our primary fixation. You should understand that our place in our nation and government is useful, but ultimately our vote should only be an infinitesimal fraction of the impact that we have here on earth. Our call has always been to go in the power of God, to teach others what it means to live for Him, to make disciples for Him to lay hands on the sick, to cast out demons, to bind up the brokenhearted, to free those held captive by sin. Politics has a way of making us feel small and at the mercy of our situations. But we serve an almighty God. So yes, we want to teach on this. Yes, we want to help ourselves and not hurt ourselves in how we approach 
all the topics we talked about today, but at the end of the day, it's such a small piece. There's so much more. So as I end today, I want to offer prayer as we always do. First and foremost, if you're here today and you need to make a decision to start your journey with Jesus, to fully submit to Him and let Him guide your steps, to become that disciple for Him, I'm going to invite you to come up and we'll have someone up here to pray with you. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. This message and other resources are available at DestinyDayton.com.